0: Oh, good morning, TLC. Good morning. I like the first service. Good morning, TLC. Good morning. You can talk back to me. It will not freak me out. It will not scare me. You can talk back. Amen? Amen. There we go. All right. It's, I, should have, I should be careful what I'm asking for, but it's all good. It's a joy. It's a privilege to be with you guys this morning. I'm grateful for Pastor Torn for the opportunity, invitation to come and share with all of you. And as he shared, like, yeah, we are incredibly excited at the move of God and what he's doing and in indwelling church and doing in the city. i grateful to be planting his church this upcoming fall. And if you want to know any more information about it, just how we are going, things to be praying for, uh, feel free to come up and talk to me following our time of worship. Even if you just want to talk about other things, I mentioned the first service. If you want to talk about the Lions draft picks, we can do that. I heard that Pastor Torn is a Bears fan. We can talk about how more of you guys, wow. Wow. Um, we can, talk about, <laughs> we can talk about that. We can talk about anything, but I would love just to be able to connect with you and just talk with you. So feel free to come up after our time of worship. Um, I have the honor of continuing on in your Roman series. So if you have a copy of the word of God, whether in print or on your phone, feel free to join me in Romans chapter 12. Um, we'll begin our time in verse number nine. Um, before we open up God's word, um, allow me to take a moment and pray. <laughs> God, as was already spoken, Lord, when we gather as brothers and sisters in Christ, as we gather as the localized body, Lord, you are uniquely present among us. God, as we sing, as we worship, as we pray, as we come together, Lord, you are present and you receive our worship. You receive our prayers. You receive our words of adoration in which we give towards you. But as we likewise come together and worship and to pray and to adore you and to worship you, Lord, we also come as a localized body to hear specifically from you. So, Father, would you indeed take the moment now to speak? Use me as your willing vessel to speak, and then through me, speak to the hearts of your people. And may we leave this place this morning knowing without a shadow of a doubt that we've indeed heard from you. So be with us and guide us now. It's in Christ's name. Amen. So while I don't know many of you in this room, um, I want to bet you there's some similarities in which we have with one another. Um, One of which I would like to highlight is that if we think about this last year and a little bit in which we've endured, I'm going to bet you most of us, if not all of us in this room, can attest that it's been incredibly draining. It's been incredibly draining. You know, as I've, like, talked with other people, as I've scrolled through my social media feed, as I've looked at the newspaper, and and actually, do you read newspapers anymore? But anyways, just... Okay, all right. But even as you look at any kind of form of news, it's just been draining and it's been draining because it seems like the more we are engaged with the culture, the more we're looking at these things. It seems like they want us to side or to root ourselves in an agenda or a position. And if you think about it, there's been a lot that's going on that's kind of pushed us in that direction. I mean, for one, we're still dealing with COVID-19 and how it just abruptly uprooted our lives and changed everything. And now we're wearing masks and now you can get a vaccine and so many other things. Um, We've dealt with a crazy political season that still is kind of sprinkling forward even now to the current administration. We've dealt with the reality of injustice with our African-Americans and Asian-American brothers and sisters, and the reality to some people that all lives are not created equally. And in the midst of all that and some other things in which I could mention, Our culture has adopted this thing called cancel culture, that if you don't think how I think, if you don't speak how I think, if you don't reason how I think, then it is my objective to silence you so you can never speak your peace. And as a consequence, we find people out in the culture, even in the family of faith, coming together and they're arguing over the reality of COVID and shit, you get a vaccine. And they're arguing over what true justice actually looks like. And we're arguing over all these things because we've sided and chose to root ourselves in a position and in an agenda. When our call as believers and of the community of faith is to root ourselves after a person. To, to, to root ourselves in the very love of Jesus Christ. A, a type of love that goes forth and says that, you know what, we may not agree on the same thing. We might think differently, but at the end of the day, I still love you. It's, it's a type of love that looks beyond our differences and at the very core and at the very root, we show and we demonstrate love. Now, if I can be honest, this isn't easy. When you live in a culture that's kind of hostile and kind of divisive, when people want to share these things, it's not easy and it's going to be a struggle and it's going to require us to swallow our pride. And yes, it's going to cost us something. But in a world filled with agenda and position, the world is in desperate need of seeing the person of Christ. And it starts with each and every one of us in this community showing the very love of Christ that eventually outpours into the very communities and cultures and places of influences in which we actually live. And and this is Paul's aim as he's in Romans chapter 12. He's talking to Jews and Gentiles who historically have been divided and have experienced hostility and who have been separate from one another. He spent the first 11 chapters walking through what Christ has done specifically for each of these groups. And now he comes to Romans chapter 12 to kind of bring it all together. He tells them, I encourage you, I want you, I exhort you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable as your reasonable form of worship or service. He he even tells them, do not be conformed to the patterns, to the ways, to the positions, agendas of the culture, but to have your mind transformed by the spirit. And he even moves a little bit further of saying, you know what? I know you guys are different, but actionality, you all come together as a body. You come together as one body, as the body of Christ, where we actually embrace your differences. We embrace the variety of gifts that are present, and you all come together to exercise your gifts and the variety of things that make you take all for the body of Christ. But Paul is not crazy here. Paul realizes he's still talking to Jews and to Gentiles. Paul recognizes that just because they're coming together, it doesn't mean there won't be conflict, there won't be issues, and they're still very much a part of the culture that emphasizes this hostility and this division. So Paul spends the latter half of Romans chapter 12 talking about how they can love one another. How they can love one another in such a way that when they interact with one another and that love permeates into the culture, it's as if they are interacting with the resurrected Jesus himself. So he challenges them to love one another. So how does this community go about loving one another? How do they love one another in such a way where the effects and the hostility and the divisiveness of a culture doesn't permeate within the community? How do they love in such a way that they actually serve as a shining light and a shining example to everyone else around them, how people of different cultures and ethnicities can get along with one another? How do we show love to one another in this space that eventually pours out into our culture that shares the very heart and message Of Jesus Christ. Well, if we look very beginning in this passage in Romans chapter 12, round of ninth verse or so, what we begin to see is that Paul exhorts this community, it even exhorts us, that love should be sincere. Love should be sincere. Look with me in Romans chapter 12, starting in verse number nine. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil and cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. Share share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Paul is sharing with this community, love should be sincere. See, he's kind of warning, he's warning against hypocrisy here. He's warning against a manufactured type of love. He's warning against a counterfeit type of love where you just walk through the motions on which you just do it. But he wants this community to love each other sincerely that he wants them to keep their spiritual fervor as they're serving the Lord, keep it boiling up on the inside, continue to love everyone sincerely and genuinely. Um, real quick, just humor me real quick. Um, if you are the oldest sibling in your family, can you just raise your hand real quick? Yes, I got the bulk of the room. All right, same thing I told first service. Um, you are all now my best friends. Um, yes, pra- praise the Lord, yes. Um, everyone else, I love y'all too, but the older ones, y'all my best friends for this this reason. So um, in our family, it's just my brother and I. We are seven years apart. We're incredibly close then and even now. And as I was reflecting upon this part of love should be sincere, I was reflecting upon us as kids. Um, There'll be times where like maybe we're playing a game, we're doing something, we'll be sitting on the floor, um, and my brother wouldn't get his way. And it was his mission that since he wasn't getting his way, he could do anything he wanted to try to get me in trouble. See, this is why us, oh, yeah, all you older people, you know, because the younger ones are always doing stuff like this to get us in trouble. So what my brother would do, this was his tactic, this is what he would do. We'd be on the floor, like, playing. He would stand up, and then he would just flop on the ground. And you can imagine, it makes a big boom sound, right? So in comes mom and dad, and they're assessing, and they come in, and they're like, what has happened? Now, before I can even open up my mouth, my brother comes and speaks. And let me preface it by saying, yes, my name is Clarence, but my nickname is Peanut. Don't laugh. It's, it's a cute nickname. <laughs> <laughs> no one in my family calls me Clarence unless I'm in trouble. So my nickname is Peanut. So when my, brother come, my parents come in, they're like, what's happened? And here comes my brother Corey. Well, Peanut did X, Y, and Z to me. Now, I've done absolutely nothing to him. And he would do this all the time to the point where I kept getting in trouble. So now I'm thinking in my mind, you know what? I'm actually going to do something when he flops. <laughs> so now, like I told first service, now I'm doing like WWE moves. I'm dropping people's elbows. I'm kicking. I'm like, I'm going to get in trouble anyway, so I might as well do something, right? So, so what would happen? My parents would come in and they will assess the whole entire situation. And then my parents would go to me and they would say this. And this, this is the reason I'm telling the story. They would say this. They're like, um, peanut apologize to your brother. Now, I, I would look at my brother, then I look at my parents, I look at my brother again, and I see the look on my dad's face. So now I look at my brother, and I tell my brother, I'm sorry. Now, here's the reason I tell the story. I was never sorry. I wasn't. Like, for, for one, I didn't do anything wrong, and even if I did do something wrong, I'm mad at this point, so I don't care. Like, but I didn't didn't do anything wrong. And I didn't mean it when I said I was sorry. The only reason I said I was sorry is because my parents made me do it. And the punishment from my parents is far worse than what I would get to by just saying sorry to my brother. See, this is what Paul is warning against. He doesn't want a counterfeit type of love. He doesn't want anything manufactured. He wants something incredibly sincere and genuine. See, he wants it sincere and genuine out of this community because they're not supposed to view and love one another as if they're just acquaintances. They're not supposed to love and view one another as if they are just friends. They are to view and to love one another as if they're family. When you look in verse number 10, in Romans chapter 12, verse number 10, you see two words there that are actually uh, the Greek meaning for love. There's the word devoted and there's the word love. Real quick, the word devoted in Greek is actually the word Philadelphia. It's this word that means a friendly or a brotherly type love. This is where we get the city, uh, uh, the state of Pennsylvania, the city of Philadelphia known as the city of brotherly love, right? So this word devoted means a friendly or a brotherly type love. But this word love mentioned in Romans chapter 10 speaks of a natural affection between a husband and a wife or a parent or a child. Essentially, the movement of the text is that you don't love and view one another as just friends, but you view and love one another as if you are family. Because if you think about it, this community that Paul is talking to—they share the same father, which is God. They share the same brother, which is Christ. And yet, yeah, they may be different culturally and ethnically. Yes, they may think differently and reason differently and speak differently. But at the core, they are family and they should love sincerely. May may I suggest to each and every one of you in this room, whether you look in front of you, back of you, next to you, you are indeed family because you share the same father in God. You, You share the same brother in Christ. And may I even mention we are all washed in the same blood and while you may be different culturally and ethnically and while you may think differently and reason differently, you may be a Bears fan. You may be a state fan. Ugh, you may be an Ohio State fan. Ugh, we still love you. Go blue. Um, we still love you. <laughs> I'm sorry, y'all. But love should be incredibly sincere. And our culture is in need of seeing a sincere love. Our world is in need of seeing a love that is incredibly genuine. And when we love each other in this place sincerely and genuinely, it's a type of love that also, that also should begin to expand out into our culture, into our neighborhoods, into our jobs, where we love one another sincerely. So Paul says that love should be sincere. Sincere. But Paul also goes forth and gets a little bit tighter. Paul also goes forth and says that love should be selfless. Love should be selfless. Doesn't that kind of just make it feel kind of tight? Like tight? Like the culture kind of just screams selfish. What we're called to love selflessly. Look at me in verse number 14. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. You read and when you hear those verses and those words, do you hear how it screams out living selflessly? Even when you think of the culture in which we live in, do you hear and kind of think through how our culture is very much selfish? Think about it. The culture says here, uh, uh, bless those who curse you. What our culture would suggest to you is no, you actually wish a curse upon them. that the very pain and the very tears and the very anguish in which you feel, you should want the other person to experience it to a far greater degree. Mourn with those who mourn, rejoice with those who rejoice. Uh, Yeah, right, it's all about me. Because the culture screams about the individual and it's all about us and how we feel and what we think and what we think is right. Live in harmony with one another? Yeah, right. Only if they agree with me and only if they like me will I live in harmony with them. This is what the culture screams out at us. But Paul is speaking something counter-cultural here. He's speaking something different here. He's speaking about loving one another selflessly. Now, I'm looking at some of you in the room, and I'm kind of looking at me, and I'm like, probably some of you are like, we can just skip over this whole section, like, this doesn't apply to me. I think I love pretty selflessly. We can skip this, but just humor me and let's just dig a little bit deeper here. Um, imagine, uh, for instance, imagine, for instance, um, your best friend who you used to be best friends with and they kind of divulged your deepest, darkest secrets to the rest of the, uh, the friend group. Um, imagine, think of that person who used to be your best friend. Or, or think of that person who was once your significant other and you guys had a terrible breakup. If you were to see them walking down the street or you see their picture pop up on social media, would your first response be, Lord, bless them, or it be to curse them so they feel the same level of pain in which you felt? Another example, say you're on the job and say you just got passed over for a promotion given to someone else who was less deserving. Or say, for instance, your friend just came to you and told you, hey, I'm getting married and you're going to be a bridesmaid for the fifth time when you've yet to even be a wife the first time. Would you rejoice alongside them? Would you be happy and excited alongside them? Or would you be bitter? Because it's not your time yet. Or, or, or think about it Think about it this way. Think about um, what if, what if, what if, what if things just aren't going right for you? What if things are not going right for you, but like things are going well for other people? Can you rejoice alongside them? Or would you feel terribly bad that nothing is working out in your favor? What about things that happen in our culture? What about senseless violence that happens to certain cultures? And do you find yourself mourning alongside those uh, family members, mourning alongside the culture of people who are different culturally and ethically and, and don't live in the same neighborhood as you? Or do you find you're just saying that this is just a normal day in Grand Rapids? See, we must come to the point that if we want to love how Christ has loved us, If we want to live selflessly, if we want to live in such a way that impacts the very culture and neighborhoods in which we live, it has to be a love where we are not selfish, but it's a a, a love in which we are selfless. So what does that look like? That means even though we've been hurt, even though we experience pain and anguish, even though we've cried, even though we still can't sleep over the matter, we ask God to bless those who have hurt us. I know it sounds weird. And I know it sounds countercultural. We ask the Lord to bless those who have cursed or that hurt us. Not curse them, but bless them. We, we rejoice with those who rejoice and we mourn with those who mourn. And, and what Paul is talking about here, Paul is talking about an intensity of concern for one another. Uh, an intensity of concern for one another that leads itself to ownership. See, when Paul says rejoice with those who rejoice, he doesn't want us just to rejoice just for the sake of rejoicing. But he wants us to have a shared experience. Your rejoicing and your experience is my experience and I rejoice in response to it. Same thing with the mourning piece. We just don't mourn and we're not just sad because you happen to be sad. But it's a shared experience. It's ownership. I mourn because your experience is my experience and I mourn in response to it. Think about it. Think about, you know, again, they're supposed to view one another as if they're family, right? They're supposed to view each other as family. So think of your mother and your father now, or think of your aunt, your uncle, your cousin, your brother or your sister in this moment. And and think about that family member who just recently graduated from college. Think about that family member who just came with the great news that they are now engaged. Think of that family member who just found out they are now in remission from cancer, you would rejoice, wouldn't you? You would be excited. You would cry tears of joy. Why? Because you've been there since the very beginning with them. You've been with that family member from grade school. Now they graduated with, from college. You, you've been there with that family member who dated all the knuckleheads and finally found the right person. You, you, you've been there with the, with the one person who found out about the cancer diagnosis and now they're in remission. Your experience is shared, and you rejoice right alongside with them. But on the other side of the coin, the other side of the coin, that, that person who graduated college still hasn't landed their dream, their dream job yet. Or that engagement that you were once excited about now has just completely fallen apart. And that remission from cancer, now the cancer has come back and it's spread even further. You would mourn right alongside with them. Why? because you have a shared experience. You've been there through the whole entire journey. This is the joy of community, because what Paul is expressing here is that we don't have to navigate through the seasons of life alone. We come alongside one another and we rejoice and we celebrate and we praise God for the high moments, but we also come together and we mourn and we cry over moments that break our hearts. That's the joy of getting to know one another. That's the joy of doing life together. That's the joy of communities that you don't navigate through life by itself. It's a selfless kind of love, a love where you put others above yourself, a selfless love in which you assume the posture of Christ over the posture of power found in our culture. It's a selfless kind of love. That's what Paul is speaking about here. So Paul has suggested that love should be sincere. He suggested that love should be selfless. And he finishes Romans chapter 12 by encouraging this community and even encouraging us that love should be steadfast. Love should be steadfast. This this word steadfast essentially means it maintains itself. It maintains itself. And when you look at uh, what's found here in verses 17 through 21, this speaks of conflict management. That in moments of conflict, love should maintain itself. Think about the last argument you might have gotten in front of with a friend, your significant other, a family member. Oftentimes when we are upset and in the heat of the moment, oftentimes love goes out the window. And what Paul is saying is that in moments of conflict, love should be steadfast, love should maintain itself. Realizing that this community, although they're coming together as a family, there's still going to be conflict in this community. Even as they engage with the culture, there's going to be conflict out there as well. But they have this call and this responsibility to love like Christ and to have a love that's steadfast and that maintains itself. And we see how they do that when we look at verses 20 and 21 in Romans chapter 12. Look at me, me in verse number 20. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So I think we all know is that when there's evil present, when you feed into the evil and you bring forth evil, it just magnifies the evil. And what Paul is exhorting is, hey, you bring good to evil situations. When you bring good to evil situations, those doing the evil will experience burning coals reaping upon their heads. That is their prayer that even through that, that they will encounter the peace and the genuineness and the sincerity of God and turn away from how they are behaving, What Paul wants this community to do, he wants them to love in such a way that mimics the cross. He wants them to love in such a way, he wants them to love in such a way that is cruciform, or essentially after the very cross of Jesus Christ. Because again, when we love like Christ loves, when people interact with us and when people speak with us, it is as if they are speaking and interacting with the resurrected Jesus himself. When, when you look at verses 20 and 21, if you could put that back on the screen real quick for me, please. Uh, when you see verses 20 and 21, do you see how this screams out living after the cross? When you see these words, do you, scream, do you hear how it screams out still being sincere and still being selfless? Because when we read these words here in Romans chapter 12, verses 20 and 21, we actually read these. What Paul is actually suggesting to this community as we read these things is that you're not doing something that Christ hasn't already done on our behalf. That when you read these very words, it mimics what Christ has already done on the cross. Real quick, one more time, let's read it one more time. It says, On the contrary, if your enemy, if you have your Bible or you're taking notes, circle, underline, Put stars, do something with the word enemy. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. Hungry, feed him. You can underline, you can circle, star that piece as well. It says, if he is thirsty, give him something to drink. Thirsty, give him something to drink. Underline, circle, star that piece as well. And then it says, um, at the very end, in verse number uh, uh, 21, it says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Underline, circle, square that piece as well. Because when you look at these four pieces found in verses 20 and 21, it speaks of what Christ has already done on the cross. That he's not asking this community to do anything out of the ordinary. He's asking them to be just like Jesus. You look at that. It says, it says if you are an enemy. When you realize when Jesus Christ goes to the cross, he goes to the cross and dies while we are yet sinners and enemies of his. And Because of his sacrifice on the cross, we are now called friends of God and are now called children of his. It says when he's hungry, feed them. When you look at the very cross, there hanging on the cross willfully is the bread of life. And all who come by means of the cross will feast on the bread of life and will never desire to eat anything else. It says, if he's thirsty, give him something to drink. There also on the cross is the source of all living water. And those who thirst after him will have their souls quenched. And it says, "Over it says, overcome evil with good. And it's at the very cross of Jesus Christ where we see the greatest demonstration of evil turn out to the greatest measure of good for all who choose to believe on the cross. Because when we think of the journey and it's Jesus making himself to the cross, we think of Jesus being captured. We, we think of Jesus going before a crooked court with Pilate and the Sanhedrin and before Herod. We think of Jesus being flogged and being uh, hurt and being whipped before he sentenced to death on the cross. We think of Jesus carrying his cross to the crucifixion site and eventually having Simon come and assist him. We think of Jesus having nails in his hands and nails in his feet. We think of the cross being lifted upright and his body beginning to droop. We think of the extreme pain and anguish in which Jesus is experiencing. We think of him struggling to breathe. We think of the shame and the ridicule and the wrath and the judgment in which he's experiencing. We realize the seven last words in which Jesus goes forth and speaks. We think of him giving up his spirit to his Father, laying in a gr- in a grave three days, but yet resurrecting on the third day, going forth and being ascended to the Father where he now sits in victory, waiting to return for each and every one of us. It is there we see the greatest demonstration of evil turn to the greatest demonstration of good for all who choose to believe on him. And what Paul is encouraging this community to do, Paul is encouraging this community to be exactly like Jesus. He's calling you be exactly like Jesus. Because at the cross, we see Jesus' sincerity. We see his love, his sincere love, that he's just not on the cross just to be there, but he's thinking of each and every one of us while he's there. We see his selflessness. He gives of his right so each and every one of us can have a right. We think of his steadfast love, how he keeps his father on his mind the whole time. How he keeps the plan of the Father on his mind the whole entire time. And how he keeps each and every one of us on his mind the whole entire time. When you are asked to love sincerely and selflessly and making sure that maintains itself even through conflict, you are choosing to love like Jesus. You're choosing a person. You're choosing the way of Christ. So the question to ask this morning is will you choose the way of love? Will you choose the way of Christ? Will you invest in a family, or a family family member, or a friend, or a stranger, an acquaintance, or even an enemy, and demonstrate the very love of Jesus Christ? Tomorrow when you go to work, when you go to school, when you go to the gym, the grocery store, whatever you're doing, will you seek to demonstrate the love of Christ in the very culture in which you find yourselves living in? Will you invest? and others to share the very love of Christ. Will you invest in one another and share the love of Christ? Remember how I said at the very beginning, uh, this isn't easy. Uh, this is a struggle. This will cause us to swallow our pride and this will cost us something. It cost us a sacrifice and a submit the sacrifice and submit to the plan and the working of the father in our lives. That if we want to love selflessly and sincerely and steadfast, it's going to require us to keep that at its very core. Because when we love in such a way as this, we align our horizontal relationships with our vertical relationship. And we love and we speak and we do just as Christ would do. So today choose a person Choose the way of love. And as we do so, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We can begin to see the kingdom of God manifest itself not only in this localized space, but also in the very culture in which we live in. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. God, your word is indeed a lamp into our feet and a light into our pathway. And God, we repent of the times in which we failed to show your love. God, we can admit that it's been crazy. It's been draining in which of the times in which we live in. And it's been so easy to speak from a place of opinion over the variety of things that have been going on. But God, we commit ourselves today. We want to love like you. We wanna love sincerely. We wanna love selflessly. We wanna love that even maintains itself when conflict arises. So by the power of your spirit, God, help us to do so. When we desperately wanna share our opinion, help us to love, Father. When we feel that we should be at an advantage instead of a disadvantage, help us to love, Father. Help us to see value in sharing life and in community and being vulnerable enough with one another where we can share our prayers and share our concerns with one another, but also being vulnerable enough to open our hearts to receive those who are hurting in the midst of the times in which we live in. Jesus, we wanna be like you. We wanna love like you. So may your spirit provoke us and help us to do so. Thank you for speaking today, Father. May we not only be hearers of your word, but may we also be doers. It's in Christ's name. Amen.